Hey everybody, Jerry here with another exclusive offer for our loyal KafaruCast listeners. Our friends over at All In Company are giving listeners 10% off their all-new magnetic digiscoping system. And did I mention free shipping? That's right, 10% off plus free shipping. So head on over to allin.co, that's O-L-L-I-N dot C-O, and enter in the promo code KAFARU, all caps, to save yourself 10% and get free shipping. Now here's Aaron with the podcast. It's Saturday morning, everyone. Welcome to Kafaru Cast. That's the uh, 4th of July weekend. I am still at the Snyder World Headquarters, but uh, I think I'm going to be able to move to the uh, Kafaru World Headquarters soon if they've ever finished the tenant improvement. But uh, but I, I've got a guy on the mic that uh, I've known for a decent amount of time, followed him online, and uh, a fellow Wyoming resident, uh, 307 represent, <laughs> is uh, Sam Davis. What's going on, man? <laughs> Hey man, how are you? It's good to it's good to be on here. Glad that you guys are here in Wyoming. It's pretty cool. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate it. I uh, I guess I met you the first time at the Wyoming uh, bow hunters banquet um, where there was some drinking involved, and I probably spent too much money on beanie hats <laughs> and American flags and stuff. Yeah, you bought a lot of stuff that night, but it was awesome, man. That was uh, you and Amy came up. That was that was cool, and everybody got to hang out and. Yeah, we may have drank a little bit, a little bit too much, but whatever. It was it was a fun night. Those are usually a damn good time. Yeah, no, it was it was good. I'll have to. Uh, I got to try to make another one. I think uh, this year I was actually uh, guiding um, at that time, so I wasn't able to wasn't able to make it. But uh, but yeah, it was it was it was good. Um, and then my wife actually ended up uh, becoming uh, whatever I don't know what that's called a area rep or something for Wyoming. Uh, bow hunters. Uh, yeah. af- after that, she was, yeah. she was quite comical. She didn't even tell me she was going to do that. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. She stepped up and she's a representative for your guys' district, which is that's cool. That's cool to get some new people, new blood into the organization. And yeah, man, those those are you got to you got to put that on your books. It's third week in March every year. It's pretty, we stay right around that weekend, so you'll have to pull out from Texas and come home to Wyoming for at least a night for some. I'm sure we can find some peanut butter screwball and find some more auction items to throw at you. And yeah, no, no kidding. I was actually uh, doing some, I think, military training uh, during during that time. But uh, but yeah, I'll make it to the next one. But uh, as far as um, Sam goes, I guess uh, in no disrespect intended when I say this, when you hear people say I've got friends that are hardly ever online that that kill more than all these uh, jokers on social media or whatever else, that that would probably be. Sam, although people do know who you are, but not not at the respect uh, or maybe the the umbrella that you probably uh, deserve. Um, man, you you get after and have been you know hugely successful, uh, but not not as probably well known as you should be, uh, especially in comparison to the Instagram world. Yeah, well, thanks, man. I just grew up here. Uh, bow hunting has been everything I've done since I've been fifteen years old. I think I've shot one thing with a rifle since uh probably year 2000 i've used the rifle once so yeah man uh it's in my blood you know how it is when i picked it up i i started shooting i killed a new high country mule deer that first year when i was 15 and man it really set things off so yeah that's all i do and chase critters i can't say i go state to state that much i mean i found a new mexico arizona montana kansas and uh but yeah i love it i live for it that's what i do and everything revolves around bow hunting, take care of my family and then just bow hunting, man. 
that's all it is. Yeah, and you've um, you know, kind of go over uh, a little bit of a list of some of the animals. I mean, you're uh, very successful, so um, you know, there's you're somebody that that well, like Kenneth, one of the uh, the the guys that works for me right now, which reminds me of probably us. Uh, well, me in the case of like over twenty years ago. I still like to get after it, obviously, you know, I, I'm in the mountains as much as I can be, but when I say reminds me of, I'm still the same way. They will shoot, they will be at my house from the time the sun comes up till it goes down shooting all day. They don't stop. And that uh, willingness to <laughs> learn, you know what I mean? Like when I start tuning a bow, when I, totally. if I shimming cams over fletching arrows, uh, you know, I start breaking down different things gear wise. I, they're hungry and what he brings you up all the time like uh with with uh like he he just got an xf33 he's like sam shoots a pse i'm like i i know <laughs> you know what i mean so uh but what <laughs> what are some of the accomplishments uh different animals maybe more highlights larger animals crazier hunts that type of stuff well i i mean uh, I don't want to film like braggadocious. Uh, I just, like I said, I've been lucky to, I've been a Wyoming resident my whole life. So when I was a kid, I started building points when I was 12 years old. So I'm 37 now. And when I, by the time I hit, you know, 34, 33, I started having enough points that I could start shooting for some of those lower point units for like bighorn sheep, uh, moose and stuff like that. So man, I've been very fortunate. Uh, I killed a, bighorn sheep back in 2017 in a unit in wyoming that the like the uh percentage harvest percentage is even really low and it's it was it was cool it was the first archery killed ram to ever come out of that unit and it still is the first only archery killed ram to come out of the unit and so that was awesome um i didn't go in there necessarily with that goal i just went in there and wanted to kill a, a cool sheep i didn't know that anybody hadn't harvested a ram until i you know in wyoming you have to check them in and I got him plugged and did some research. He ended up being a nine and a half year old ram with archery equipment. So it was the oldest ram ever killed in that unit and the only archery equipment. So only only one ever harvested with archery. So that was pretty badass. You know, I mean, when you put everything you you do into archery and it's your home state and you bust your ass and then they go up there and kill him on the second day in some nasty nasty terrain with uh, with my buddy Zach and another buddy Ryan. You've met Zach. Um, it was a uh, it was badass. Um, and then also I killed a, I killed a Shire's moose two years later. I drew a Shire's moose tag and a uh, country that I'd never been in also just went for it. And my buddy Zach and I again laid the hammer down and man, I got killed a hell of a moose. I'm not a big score guy, but he was a, he was a big Shire's. I got a big, big Shire's that year. So that, um, and then elk hunting, uh, I've killed a lot of elk with a bow. They're, they're a lot of fun to chase, and they're uh, kind of big and dumb and yellow, but I like chasing those big bulls. And so, yeah, man, that's it. And then pile of mule deer and pile of antelope, a uh, handful of bears. I just – I chase everything. I'm not I'm not a one-critter kind of guy. I'm kind of like you, man. I just – if there, if there's a tag for it, I'll, I'll put in for it and, and go for it. Gotcha. And for those who um... – uh, you know, that if you don't know Sam, Sam's one of those, um, uh, without pumping your tires up too much, uh, very few times do you find somebody who is fit, smart, with dedication, mental toughness, shooting ability, uh, animal behavior, field craft. You know, you, you, you are one of those people that all that combined. Um, 
you know, you started early. You were probably shooting shit you shouldn't have been with a BB gun, like 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 most of us our age as a kid, <laughs> and uh, you know, yeah. kind of took it from there. And so, you know, kind of a yeah. I get you like to get your views on this, and I, I talk about it all. I, I know a lot of fat guys that kill shit. Like, um, will they will they be able to last as long as somebody is in shape? No, but you know, they're they're getting after animals uh, because animal behavior, patients, things like that. Um, Talk a little bit about that with you, with you, and kind of your mentality. Because, uh, in fact, I, I call Sam Captain America. Sam's a very fit, big, strong dude, uh, but you can also shoot and, and obviously again, field craft, animal behavior, shit like that. Um, you know, talk talk about that. You're, you, you know, how much time do you spend on fitness? I would imagine you probably work out every day, shooting, and uh, you know, knowing animal behavior over the amount of time, obviously being in the woods. Yeah, man. Uh, I would say. Animal behavior has got to be one of the, the top the top things. I think you can be the bad, most badass guy in the gym. I think you can be a badass on the 3D range. But if you don't know what that mule deer is thinking, what those mule deer ears mean, what that mule deer is looking at, how his bed is set up, where he's laying, if you don't know what that bull elk's doing in the back of the herd or what that bull elk's doing flanking his cows, if you don't know where those elk are headed to go bed down, um, if you don't know what that antelope's doing, if he's traveling from water to a bench where he can see if he's going to sit out in that wide open flat, knowing if he's going to walk close to some, some draw or something that you can get close to when he's making a move to water. That's all huge fitness. Fitness. It would be second. I would say, um, I like to be in good shape. I work out seven days a week, man. Uh, I really, 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 I think that dedication to be in, in good shape, um, pays dividends in in hunting. Not only just being in shape and being able to stay out there longer and and recuperating faster, but I think the mental game that you get by making yourself. I went to the gym this morning. I know me and you talked about. That. I was stayed up late last night, but I had to get a gym workout in this morning just just because I need to. It's a mental thing. Like if you take a day off, that's cool, but make sure you make it up right. I try not to have those days off. Those animals aren't taking a day off. I know that sounds kind of silly, but. Uh, it's legit. Like I just, I put all into it as far as the fitness and shooting. I don't know if I dive as deep into like the tuning and stuff as you do. Um, I don't tinker much. My setup has been the same for years as far as an arrow setup, but I shoot daily. Um, sometimes it might be one arrow a day. Sometimes it might be, you know, 60 arrows a day. I think, I think that it all plays into it, but man, like you say, animal behavior is a huge freaking part that people overlook and you really don't, uh, you really don't learn it unless you do it. So yeah, that'd be, that'd be, that'd be kind of how I would set it up. I would say animal behavior, it's way overlooked in this whole Instagram, Facebook world. Yeah. And I think, um, and I try to always break things down. And if I was drinking, this would be a lot funnier, but uh, you can't read about how to pick up chicks. You got to do it right. You're, you're not going to, you're not get laid from reading totally. a book. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're just, you're not going to get laid from reading a book. You gotta, you gotta learn what to say, what to do reading the woman. You can, you can read about it, but you gotta be able to talk to her and, and read her body language. And I've tried to bring up this, to this up to guys and, and gals, although I don't know how to read a man. Um, at least I hope I don't. I, <laughs> calling elk is the same way right i mean if you uh if you walk in or or think about it this way you know if you're you're at a bar and a chick walks in and says you know screams out somebody screw me 
you probably want to walk away, right? She might give you the gift that keeps on giving. Like that's not good. <laughs> and so yeah, that isn't her first. That isn't her first time she's done that. <laughs> no, no. And and so that's sometimes you know blowing like a super like excited mu estrus call type of a noise or those are the things. You know, I'm talking about calling, but also looking at an animal where he may go to bed if it's a mule deer, mm, uh, and where he may move after his first bed, or uh, you know, in the, in the case of obviously just reading terrain on a map where the animals might, I mean, those are things that really don't get mentioned. I mean, you always hear about fitness and shooting. Those are the big ones and, and they're both important. Um, yeah. But, you know, but I, no matter how fit you are, if you can't hit the animal, that's a problem. And uh, no matter how good of a shot you are, if you're not fit enough to get there, that's a problem. And I know how, how good of a shot you are and how fit you are you're probably not going to kill much if you can't, uh, you know, read the animal and, and understand behavior. So it's kind of a big package, obviously. And one of the things, um, you know, I tinker a lot and screw around. I do, you know, do a lot of reviews, crap like that. And, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Although I would say that you would be a lot better off getting one bow, um, one arrow and uh, one site and then turning off social media and shooting. Um, if you're a tinker, I get it, but, but like, um, you know, last yesterday I was doing, in fact, you messaged me, um, you know, like different groups or whatever with that omen. Cause it's a little bit more of a fast, like a speed bow and nothing, yeah. nothing wrong with that. But then I quickly found out you shoot that bow. Is that correct? Yeah, I do that omen. I used it bear hunting this spring and that thing's a, it's a beast. I don't know when you're going to release this podcast, but I think everybody's going to be excited on July 6th when they get to see all the stats on that thing, man. That omen is rad. I, I think it is. I mean, you've shot a lot of bows, but that omen, it's a, that's a sweet shooting bow. It, it was an eye-opener for me on technology because the original omen was not, I was not a fan. I just shot it a few times at the shop, and it's just a little bit of an aggressive, well, not a little, it was a harsh draw cycle. And I had some people <laughs> message me last night saying, hey, you always said speed is um, the least thing you worry about. Why are you talking about a speedboat? And I'm like, well, you need to listen to what I said. I won't sacrifice accuracy for speed. The Omen is one of those strange yep. bows. You are not sacrificing accuracy. And I tried to shoot a group to show people that, and it still didn't convey the message. If I can <laughs> shoot, you know, and I... um. Like I, for years I shot 80 plus pounds and, and, uh, with shooting the, the, you know, the recurve and everything else, obviously not, not a recurve, meaning a compound shot, high poundage. Um, you, you know, when I started shooting again, I didn't want to wait a uh, compound. I didn't want to wait for 80 pounders or generally a little bit longer weight. And, you know, I was able to get, um, you know, that 475 grain arrow at, at, uh, you know, at 280 to 290 benchmark, which is where I like to hit. Well, with that omen, I got 291 yep. at 69 pounds with a 475 grain arrow. And, you know, could I and sh shoot? The forgiveness is it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. And, and uh, you know, I, 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 when I first shot it, there is, there's, I'm not a, I could give two shits about hand shock, but when I first shot it with nothing on it, there was hand shock. And I actually even had people message me, hey, I shot it in the range and it vibrated a little. And I'm like, did you put anything on it? Because once I have all that shit hanging off of it, there was no hand shock. It was extremely fast and very forgiving. I ordered one for my wife immediately because she can't pull as much poundage back. So if she can gain 30 plus feet yeah. per second and shoot two pounds less than she's shooting now, that is a net win if it's the same forgiveness or, or about yeah. the same. 
Yeah, it's huge. That bow is, I know, like you said, I know I was telling you, I, I got the 80 pound model and I have always been the speed chaser. I'm not going to sit here and lie. I shoot a 460 grain arrow, gold tip, 250, X Hunter XD, nothing fancy. Used to shoot blazers. Now I shoot an AAE hybrid, 2.6 on there. And I used to shoot 462 grains. I didn't even put that through the chrono. I drew a bison tag this year. So I was like, when I got that omen, I was like, all right, I'm going to set this up for bear hunting, but I'm going to build an arrow that's heavy to actually smack a buffalo. I've never rebuilt my setup since 09. So I was all, shit, I was nervous. <laughs> like listening to all these podcasts. You let all that crap get your head. But I took a 250. I slapped a 100 grain insert in the front, a brass insert in the front of it. Uh, I ran my 100 grain... Uh, tip up front still so whatever 200 up front i don't know foc so i don't even know that game but i uh i built it it came out to be like right at 540 grains i put it through that 80 pound omen with a 30 and a half inch draw and it swung an arrow at 303 to 305 feet per second at i was like holy smoke and so smooth i got that fixed blade broadhead to tune at 303 feet per second. I mean, it is flying really well. I, I was I was very impressed because I'm not a fixed blade guy. I've shot I've shot mechanicals forever. I mean, a Grim Reaper mechanical pro series. I've shot it, and so I got the Grim Reaper Micro Hades strapped on the front of it for this bison hunt. And I got that Micro Hades flying really as good as I can shoot, as good as I can shoot out to 60, 70 yards, and I hope I can get within 60 of a bison. So, yeah, dude, they're unreal bows. Yeah, I was surprised. And again, you know, I don't, um, uh, trying to convey the correct message, no matter what I do, sometimes it still doesn't come across correctly. So if I can get the speed, I would normally at 75 pounds at 69 with the same arrow weight, that's a victory if I shoot it more accurately, especially too. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're 37, you know, I'm pushing mid forties now I'm getting closer to 50 than I want to be. And still don't have shoulder issues but i'm also not an idiot if i can draw 70 to 75 instead of 85 that's a good thing and i i am not uh i don't want to say i take unethical shots if i know i can get the arrow to where it needs to be i'm shooting and you know i i take frontal shots doesn't bother me a bit um you know i'll split the shoulder and the neck um you know on a cornering two slightly things i get bashed for on archery talk and other websites um or forums I shoot. I and I, and you're the same way. Um, and I, uh, Gretzky said it. You know, you you, you you're never you're never gonna make a shot you don't take. And I'm not saying take unethical shots for fuck's sake. Don't send me messages about that. But if I know I can get the arrow in there, I'm shooting. <laughs> and having the bow you're behind right. it and the you're ass right. behind it. Yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah, I what? I sent you, I remember I sent you a video of a deer that I shot last year in Montana. I sent you, a, we were talking, you were talking about angles. And I sent you a video of that deer I shot in Montana last year. I mean, that was a hard, hard quartering shot. But when you know your setup and you've killed a lot with your setup, you know what you can do and you know which, how you can be ethical and you know how it can be fast. And the angle that I hit that deer at, I mean, it, it dumped him so fast. When you know your angles and you, you don't be an idiot, like you said. I mean, you, everything's sometimes when you know your bow and you know like you said you even got some ass behind it and you're flinging you know in your in your setup you look at your your uh, kinetic energy your everything is your momentum those those are setups that are built with that broadhead you got on there like it's you're a little you're a little above the realm of some people i mean know your setup i'd say is the biggest thing and 
don't be an idiot, man. There is a lot of dumbass shots I'm seeing on YouTube, though, that really, really, really frustrate me. And I think a lot of new hunters are seeing that, and I'm just like, come on, you know? Like, you have to, I, I don't know. You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen some of that shit you see on? Yeah, I can. You watch on YouTube, and it just, I, I shake my head at it. I, and I try to bring people back into the realm of reality, and, and, and I do. I'm a bit blunt, so... You know, I've had people tell me, you know, I'd never take that shot. And then I'll be like, well, yeah, you can't hit a stop sign at 40 yards. I wouldn't take it either. Um, but you could also exactly. look at maybe, exactly. potentially, possibly, maybe work on your shooting. That would that would help, you know. And I'm kind of stuck in the middle between, um, when I say in the middle, right, like I, I'm all about, you know, if you can get closer, you're going to be generally more successful unless you really push it. But I'm also... Uh, kind of that guy that yeah, I'm not quite at the level of Gillingham of, of absurdity when he's talking about super light arrows, but I'm also, I'm a 280 guy. And that's something guys are like, you shoot really heavy arrows. I'm like, well, when I shot 85 pounds, I did. When I'm shooting 70 pounds, I just want to be at 280. Whatever that arrow weighs, I want to be around 280. I'm yep. used to that cast of that arrow. Um, the bow is generally, uh, when I say generally easier to tune at 280, you, you push that you know, 300 mark, it's a little bit, well, not a little, uh, it's harder to tune. And so when I, when I have that 280 mark at 70 pounds, that means I'm around 470 to 490 arrow weight. And then I know my parameters and limitations of what to shoot or what not to shoot or, you know, whatever. Like I always creep into the shoulder, always have into that triangle forever. Like I'm not a guy that ever, shoots at the back of the lungs you see a, right. a, a lot of that like i literally am putting that pin right on the edge of the shoulder and i'll go through me too scapula guys are so scared of the scapula and i'm like well don't hit it in the t of the scapula for christ's sake but i zip through scapulas with a, a fucking recurve with a fixed blade right and yeah. guys guys are like yeah people will message me and i i shit you not and i'm not saying this in a negative way people need to learn i'm just saying Hey, I got a 31 inch draw length. I'm shooting a 500 grain arrow. Is that enough to shoot a mechanical at an elk? And I'm like, shoot a butter knife, buddy. Like Jesus. Yes. I, I, I mean, shoot whatever you want. And, and I'm like, Hey man, Hey, where'd you hear you couldn't do that? And, and again, I make fun of archery talk a lot. Um, and when I say that meaning, uh, I don't know who shot more elk between you and I, but I would say between the two of us, we're pushing 50, 60 elk on the ground quite a bit. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I've shot him with everything and I've never hit an elk and been like, man, wow, I really wish I had this or this, or man, I, the only time I had a component issue on an arrow and that, and that was it. And it's like, you know, hitting the animal where you need to hit it is, you know, important. And if you're not a good shot, um, you might want to get closer and not shoot at it far away. Or if you're not pulling back the pounds or a little bit lower draw weight, yep, definitely shoot a, a fixed blade. But but the reality is, is well, look it, at, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, um, I was say, look at what we do. We got our wives. You and I both have wives to shoot. And so we take all of this into account every single time. It's not like we just focus on our, you know, 28 inch draws and 30 inch draws and, you know, heavy pounders. It's not like we're just worried about ourselves. You and I are two guys. When we go into the hills with our wives, not a lot of other guys do. They're so focused on their, you know, they, their wives don't hunt. But I got to set up my wife's bow. She shoots. I got her. She pulls back sixty pounds. She's shooting a, 
PSC also, and uh, but she's only shooting a 400 grain arrow. So my thing is, is we're we're like 45 yards and in. I don't want her slinging long bombs. We can get closer. I want her to be accurate. So I want the most accurate setup that we can have and get as close as we can. That's what you and I have to focus on. So people that that think, oh, you just gotta have heavy poundage and all that shit. It's it's no. I mean, I gotta think about my wife too, and she shoots really good for. I mean, she can pull back 60 pounds and she pulls it back efficiently. She can pull it back off of her ass and she's worked up to that. She lifts a lot of weights and she's, she's pretty dedicated, but it's you definitely, you know, you know, archery stuff inside and out. And I don't, I mean, I do, I guess I could, I could, I could get a build a setup, but having to deal with our wives, we do deal with a lower poundage. We do deal with lighter weight arrow. We do deal with like, let's get a fixed blade broadhead stuck on there so that we don't have any whoopses, you know? And I think, uh, People just and another thing I was gonna say is all these bows when IBO specs come out, everything is set up for twenty eight inch draw, seven pounds, twenty eight inch draw, seven pounds. So all of these guys that ask you a hundred million questions about their arrow setups, all they need to know is pretty much every expandable broadhead is set up for a twenty eight inch draw, seventy pound bow, probably like a four hundred and twenty grain arrow. I'm gonna guess kind of a like United States average. I don't know, I might be off there, but twenty eight inch draw seventy pounds. If you're around that realm, strap a goddamn fix uh, mechanical on there. If you shoot accurate with it, if you can put a fixed plate on it, shoot a fixed plate. But if you can shoot a mechanical accurately, accuracy is what you want. Twenty eight inch draw seventy pounds, shoot it, man. Go hunting. No, you're you're right. And I don't um uh, I mean, and again, kind of being in the middle of all this, um, with all the different people I have on the podcast, right. I've had some very lethal hunters, uh, Bill Pellegrino's uh, one of the best archers to ever, you know, hit the ground on earth and he's down on the Springs and yeah, he can shoot whatever poundage he wants. Right. And he, <laughs> he shoots 70 pounds and a 425 to 450 grain arrow and a mechanical. Now, you know, he, uh, yeah. we, we were on a podcast and before we got on, we were talking about whitetail hunting and I was like, yeah, I said, you know, I've, I've killed a lot of whitetails. Like, you know, I mean, triple digits, but I'm not a great, you know, whitetail hunter. And I said, I just do what I'm told. He goes, yeah, you're leaving out a big part. And I was like, um, what's that? He goes, and you hit the fucking thing. And I'm like, yeah, you got a point. And he was like, <laughs> that, uh, you know, he said the biggest problem people need to understand hunting uh, that they, they really, you know, to, to put things in, in like context is if you hit the animal and I've, I've gotten, I've had this conversation with people that, that, that were in the, 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 the circle of shame, right? Something just happened to one of the, the, the hunters in the group and whatever. And I've literally come back and said, you know what solves that? And like, what do you mean? I'm like, hit it in the fucking lungs. That will solve all of these problems, yeah. right? Like that, that will fix all of it. Like. Um, you know, this and this happened or, or, you know, whatever, like what, you know, we're having trouble finding it cause it was, you know, cl clipped it in the stomach or whatever, man, I should have shot a bigger broadhead, man. I should have done this man. The wind, and it's like, well, yeah, or just hit it where you're supposed to. And I mean, I know that sounds simpler shit happens, but if, if you're out and you're shooting at 40 yards and you can't keep it any closer than a paper plate, that's probably about the farthest you should shoot. Um, and, you know, for, 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 I'm really going to stir up shit here. I'd like to get your feedback on this. But uh, if I shot yesterday <laughs> at, at 96 yards and that was about the size of a paper plate, and I'm not saying that's an ethical shot or unethical or, or ethical or unethical or whatever, but 
What is the difference between um, a Levi, a me, a Gillingham? I'm not comparing myself to them, but just saying those are guys I know that can shoot that group. What's the difference between us and other people that can do that shooting at 90 and comparing it to a guy that can't hit a paper plate at 40? If he says, oh, I wounded one at 40, he gets a pass. They don't talk about, they don't dissect yep. his ability, how much he practiced, the tuning. But a guy says he wounded one at 90, he's going to hell quickly on a, and, and, you know, probably getting stoned to death in the courtyard, but nobody ever really dissects. Okay. What happened to that guy at 40? Did he put the effort into it? Did, does he live and breathe archery? Did he practice, you know, and, and I try to make sense of that, I guess, to people. I think, uh, I think it's accuracy is so, so, so overlooked until you do, you get that guy that's at 40 yards. And that same guy that wounds one at 40 yards, he's going to talk all sorts of shit about your 90-yard shot that you wounded one on. I mean, that happens every year. But I think uh, I think a three, you can go to a 3D, you can go to a 3D shoot. You've seen this. You had that best of the best or whatever this this in May. You, you just put some added pressure right there. Watch a guy fold at a 3D shoot. Not a live animal, not a elevated heart rate from climbing up the mountain, but watch a guy fold at a 3D shoot in front of just because in front of a crowd. That's where you start seeing those groups get bigger. Can't hit a 12 spot. Can't hit, hit anything. Just uh, complete nerves. Get high, low shots. You see it all. And then, yeah, yeah. I just I don't get on archery talk. I don't. I don't even know. I've never got on any of those forums. But uh, I just been like what you watch on Instagram, and you see the comments that people make when someone puts a long bomb shot up there. And I don't. I don't know the background say of, of some of these 80, 90 yard shots I've seen. I don't know what these guys do, but. I've seen Levi Morgan shoot. I've seen him. I don't know the distance of his shots and some of those golf sheep and those moves, but that guy can freaking do it. And he could, he could outshoot those guys out to 150 yards better than they could shoot at 40. So it's all about knowing, knowing your weapon, what we did, and practicing with that damn thing. And then just stay in your lane. I think that's the biggest thing is don't get over your shoes. Like, don't, don't, don't do something – and it's hard not to do that, I guess. Um, I guess people, you, your rangefinder hits something out there. Say at 52 yards, your range from at 52 yards. You've been shooting real good at home out to 40. But man, those 50-yard groups, you start getting outside of a pie plate. Your dinner plate size, and every once in a while, you got a flyer. Well, I think I've heard guys talk about it. I've been like around like Brian Barney, and he always says your worst arrow is your the arrow that's probably gonna, well, your worst arrow in a group is probably what your hunting arrow is going to be. It's something that wasn't perfect, your form wasn't right, you uh, that you, were, you had an elevated heart rate, something with that group of three, and all of a sudden you had a fly. Well, that fly is probably the, what your hunting arrow is going to look like, if that makes sense. So I think people just need to stay in their lane, know your, know your limits, and don't get caught up in all the bullshit on the Instagrams and the Facebooks and YouTubes about these 100-yard shots. Just stay in your lane and don't worry about what that other guy's doing because you got Aaron Snyder out there. You can drop bombs, man. I've seen you shoot. Your groups are ridiculous. You could probably out shoot guys with your trad bow at the 60. So I, I think just everybody needs to stay in their lane and don't get over your skis. Like, just uh, do what you know you're capable of doing. And then if you're on your knees, subtract 15 yards because you're damn sure not as active as you are standing up. Yeah, 100%. Or when you've been at draw long, you know, at, at full draw for a bit, um, you know, things go down you know, Hill and again, assessing the situation or being in the moment and the ability to do it. And the more you hunt, the better you'll get at that. Normally, some people actually always black out, but, um, 
you know, when an ant, when, an, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I have guys that forget to look through the peep side and shit. But when you're, when you're, um, <laughs> like when you're practicing, and I try to, you know, I'm not a big note taker, but I, you know, uh, when I'm when I'm practicing, whether it was with a stick or a compound, and, and I'm lucky I got a 3D course at the house. But things to think about when you talked about that bad arrow what caused that bad arrow in practice something caused it right like jesus yep. didn't come down and throw that fucker totally. in the stomach you did like you made it yeah. hit the stomach why did you fade out of your peep left and right okay is your peep tight too big yeah peep people alignment. Yep. yeah exactly yep is it is it was your alignment off or or do you just have a sex toy for a peep side and you need to make maybe make a smaller one and i've had guys say well i shoot a big peep for low light and i'm like okay uh, when's the last time you killed an animal in super low light? Well, well, I've shot one, you know, and I'm like, okay, you've shot one. How many animals have you shot? Well, I probably shot 20 total. I'm like, okay, so you're less than a percent. You know what I mean? Like, you know, breaking it down or less than 10% or whatever. Um, and I'm like, okay, so you're sacrificing out of 20 or 19 other animals. You're taking a smaller peep or excuse me, a larger peep making your group way, way worse at the average shot you have. So if you drop down from a quarter to a three sixteenths or three sixteenths to an eighth, you're going to gain that much accuracy on the other 19 shots. And I'm not saying do that. I'm just saying that is something to think about or, you know, hell, I, I, I shoot high a lot. Okay. There's many reasons for that. You could have peep creep, you know, out the top of the peep, but also if you've got a six inch stabilizer, you might want to pull a Kyle Douglas and throw some shit on the front of that bow to help that thing tame yeah. down. Yeah. And, well, I like a light bow. I like to hit shit too, right? Work on that forearm, yep. punch your clown a little more, like work out, right? Like it's accuracy. Get tougher. Yeah, yeah. Get, get tougher. <laughs> yeah. And so, and again, I, you know, whatever, I, just trying to put thing in context for people listening in, what is your bow? Like, what is your setup? You said you're not a super tech guy, but obviously you know what you're doing. Do you have a stabilizer? Do you have a kickback bar? Like, you know, what what's your kind of setup in in on a standard bow that you that you put together? All right, so if I'm running an aluminum riser, so not not only even light carbon bows, I run uh, I run a B singer. I got probably five. It's like a the ten inch B singer. I got like five ounces or six ounces up front. I don't run a back bar at all. I always shoot. Levi Morgan don't listen to this. I always shoot with my quiver on. I always shoot hunting scenarios, so I run a tight spot, uh, seven arrow quiver. I usually got five loaded up in it for practice and everything. Um, black old sights. I run a. You're gonna laugh at this. I'm old school. I got one bow. I set up. I run a eight pin black gold. They had a had them put some extra pins in there for me because I don't like having a slider. So it's twenty, and I think with this bow at three oh three. I got the bigger housing black Dude, hole, I, so I can. I'm like not my laughing at anything. I run a seven but, pin with a slider. That's my sight normally. Okay. So I, I, I'm, then, a, I'm, a, I'm like you. Oh yeah, I've been a pin gapper my whole life. So even when I got my slider on, like I was up at uh, the hunting summit this weekend, and uh, I was shooting against everybody in 3D target in the 3D shoot. I have a five pin slider, and uh, I don't I don't move it unless I'm past 60. Like I just gap shoot everything. And I just grew up with that. So I don't like to dial in. You tell me it's 43 yards. I'm going to put my 40 pin right on top of the 12. You tell me it's 48 yards. I'm going to put my 50 pin right on the bottom of the 12. So I grew up shooting that. But as far as bows, 
I don't run a sidebar. I don't run a back bar. Excuse me. I don't run a back bar. I run a, a medium. All I like is my stabilizer to reach out further than my sight. So when I'm stalking, I can use my stabilizer as like a, when I'm crawling on all fours, I can stick my stabilizer in the dirt and I can crawl with my, my hand on my uh, handle of my bow. So I'm not, I'm not uh, like hanging up and jamming my damn sights into the grass. I like to be able to stick my, my stabilizer right in the dirt and crawl with it. And I like a metal ended stabilizer. So I like those bee stingers because they're metal on the end. So I can stick them and crawl through the rocks. I don't got a goofy limb saver rubber thing on the end of it, flexing and falling off. So, uh, that's what I run, ripcord rest. I'm pretty simple, man. Um, that's my hunting setup. That's my 3D setup. That's everything. Now on those carbon bows, I run, I'll take the ounces. I just, I make them heavier. I'll take the B-Singer uh, weights and I put a couple right next to the riser, run my threads through that, and I still run the same stabilizer. I just put a couple ounces right tight to the bow coming out of stabilizer. But that's that's kind of my setup. That's about it. And they're all, all my bows are 80 pounds, 30 and a half inch draw. Like I was saying, I shoot that gold tip. My my arrow forever has been 460 grain with the Grim Reaper up front. And this year for that bison hunt, I got a 540 grain arrow that's going to be going downrange at him. But, yeah, I'm not I'm not very techy, like I said, but that's always been my setup, and that's why I shoot like that. I want to shoot at a 3D just like I do hunting. So, so I mean, so, let's let's dissect a few of the things you talked about. And, uh, yeah, I kind of interrupted you there, but, I, I dude, I literally – when I went to five pins, it was confusing because I had shot seven for so long. When it's farther distances, I'd count backwards. So you see guys go 20, 30, 40, 50. If it was 68 yards, I'd go 80, 70, and then drop it at the heart. Or, you know, whatever, I my 70-yard pin. And so I I think when people listen into this, here here is shooting both. Like, I've got everything now from a spot hog uh, seven pin uh, with a dial to an option site that Dan Evans makes at option six. I've got an option eight. I just got a bunch of HHA sites in uh, goofing around with them. They're four pin. Um, So, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50. And I, the only thing that I tell people is I am strongly against a single pin for hunting. Now, when you, if you're already doing it and you like it, rub some funk on it. I'm not telling you to stop, but new archers, I can promise you that when you hunt elk or you are approaching a mule deer one learning to pin gap so don't be a single pin baby meaning even when i have a site that has a rover um you know i i work on pin gapping a lot meaning i come up over a hill and let's say i'm guiding sam and 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 it and this could happen uh, when i say that meaning sam you may come down and hunt our dad with us luckily for me i don't have to do this with you but all right, 47. And then he grabs his sight and starts to dial and we're losing time. And I mean, time is very valuable, especially with swirling winds and everything else. And he goes to dial it to be exact. Okay. It, it, if it's 47 yards, I am putting my 50 just below, you know, you can see the 40, you can see the 50, 50 is going just below the body line. Bam, dead. Well, if you go to grab that dial, you're taking time. And so you have those pins to, it, it literally boils down to efficiency and time to pin gap. You don't have to move anything. How many and, times have you drawn a back yeah, on elk? less movement. Yeah, movement. Less, yep. mo- less movement, too. It's one other thing that you don't have to dick with. You don't have to put your hand up there. You have to duck your head. Most guys, guys' eyes aren't that good, so they're looking down at their numbers. Oh, shit, he moved. Dial it in. Look back up. Now the odd has gone, or he's looking at you. Whatever, you're busted. 
A hundred percent. And, you know, a lot of times, especially hunting solo elk, I'll call a bull in, he'll come to 1820. I'll try to take a window to draw back. Not always, but real close. They'll generally run out there to 40, stop broadside and look back. Then they're dead. Well, if you got a single pin yep. or you don't know how to pin gap, you know, and one thing like with, with the amount of pins, I guess is what I'm talking about. It's really a matter of an assessment of what you are comfortable with. And so I always suggest a minimum of three pin, but I, I really work on people to have a, 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 a three to five pin and a dial. And the, the reason why is if it's past 40 or 50, you probably got a little time, you know, to, to use a dial in, in case of whether it's closer, meaning you got a little bit more flexibility for movement and time sometimes when it's yep. farther. Yep. And also your pin well, gap. And you're going to have a. Go ahead. Well, you're going to have a kick-ass range too. Usually if they're out there, say 40 plus, and say your maximum effective range is you think is 60, you're going to have time. You're going to get a good solid range. If you're sub 30, if you can't judge 30 yards, on a big bull elk, like you need to, you need to go to the 3d range a little more there too. Nothing against anybody, but if it's sub 30 yards, you should be able to look at that and be like, you know, 26, 28. Like if it's, if it's a, if it's a happening right now kind of scenario. So you're totally right in the, if it's past 40, there's a good chance. You're going to get a good solid range. You can then dial that site to 52 yards and, and put it in them. Uh, yeah, hundred percent, and uh, and I really hope people are listening closely to this because you've killed a ton of shit. And and while you may not be techie, I mean, you you obviously you have the technical side of putting shit on the ground, which is the most important. So, you know, with seven pins or eight pins, the only thing is pin clutter. But if you were raised like obviously you and I were, I've been shooting at seven pin for twenty years. Doesn't bug me a bit. Now, recently, I've started to shoot less pins and the only reason why is the bow's efficiency they've gotten faster so I, you know in the sense of like when i say faster i can with a with a four pin i actually am pretty good it's you know 20 30 40 50 i'm actually good to about 65 with a four pin definitely in the 10 ring because i'm so used to pin gapping for years and at that distance after yep. that running numbers of time of over time of how many times I've needed to, you know, have, I have more time to dial. So I don't worry about it. I'm going to have to range that anyway. And you know, it's another movement to move the dial, but just pluses and minuses. The the four or five pin is, is, is something I've used the last year or two and been fine. But if you're worried about pin clutter and you want the best of all worlds, use a four pin, three pin, but three to four or five, and try to set those pins in the center of your housing and then set your sight tape up on your dial where if you have a four pin, let's say, I just set that HHA up. My 50 is where my indicator rests all the time. So my 20 through 50 in my pins are ready to roll. After that, if I go under 50, my 50 yard pin becomes my 23, my 37, my 42. So I can use my 50 yard pin as my rover pin. So I still can get a single pin accuracy if I want, but when I'm traipsing around through the woods, that thing is set on 50. So I'm good 20 to 65 or 20 to 50 with pins all the time. Now, I mean, you've killed a lot of shit scenarios. Give some different scenarios where you think a seven pin um, would be, has saved you. Um, Cause I can think of some where it's definitely saved me. All right, I'll say, let's go back to that bighorn sheep. 
Um, I was, my, my hunting partners were with me. They were across the canyon. I'd left them about three in the hour. I'll kind of give you the whole story. It's cool. They were across the canyon. We'd seen these rams going to a patch of timber on an 11,000-foot peak that morning. We went across, got the horses, let them graze, kicked saddles off, let them get some water. And I told those guys, I was like, I'm going to go back over there. It was like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm going to go back over there. I'm going to get up on that peak. I'm about a mile, mile and a half across it's a big, I say canyon, but, you know, a mountain valley basin. And I said, I'm going to get up on that peak. I'm going to sit up there this evening. If we see something come out below me, hand signal me, then I ha- I could see off the backside. So I, I was covering both sides. So I worked my way up this 11,000-foot peak. There's not a tree on this peak. It's just, you know, it's shale rock and just like little cliff bands, like five-foot high cliff bands running up it. And I'm working my way up, working my way up, packs on, just in a T-shirt, just rocking, going to the top, going to the top. I, all of a sudden, I hear something down below me, 200 yards. I look down, there's five rams coming out of a lower patch of timber than I'd seen them going that morning. Now the hill is wide open, so I have nothing hiding me to them. And there's a snowdrift at 110 yards, and I'm watching them. And the water had just started running because it had heated up that afternoon. So it's 2.30 in the afternoon, the sun's been baking on the snowdrift. Now it's starting to trickle some water. These rams are coming to get a drink. So... I have nothing. The thing is key here. I had nothing to hide behind. I just start sliding on my ass down this rock shale and it's steep. Uh, I don't know the angle exactly Snyder, but it was, you know how it is. Steep on. I was, it was dig your heels in and sit on your ass. If I picked my feet up, I was sliding, sliding down towards them and they're working their way up to a snow drift and I'm working my way to that snow drift. I'm going to tee into them right there. There's a grassy bench just off that snow drift that runs, you know, it's probably a 40 yard long bench that that snow drift had piled up in and there's grass, green grass growing on the, the south side of it. And I know they're probably going to get some, get some snow and then they're going to work their way underneath me. And I'm sliding down, sliding down, sliding down. So this whole time I've, I've got a yardage on the snow and I've got a yardage on the green grass and I'm just sliding down and the rams work their way up. They get to the snow. My heels are dug in. I'm sitting probably 90-some yards from them right now. I'm wanting the fourth ram in line out of the five. They're coming along, coming along, coming along. If I would have had a, let's say, if I would have had a slider sight right there, I would have probably, I would have, this is where the movement would have got you, just because I was in such wide open. I got myself tucked into one of those cliff bands, and I got my heels dug in. So imagine sitting on your ass, your little spread eagle, legs spread. I got my heels dug in. I'm shooting between my legs down the hill, trying to make sure my cam isn't going to just smash off the rocks. That's how steep down it was. And uh, the lead ram comes up. I get a yardage on him, and I'm, I get, say, like a quick 70, and it's steep. I don't know, true distance. I don't know. It was a long shot. And I, uh, I, I click, click 70 on him. 68, 70 as he's walking, three-quarter curl, tight curl, cool ram. But I want that there's a wide flared ram is what I'm going for. He comes up. I get a yardage on him. I just get ready to draw. That's where if I would have had, I would have dialed to that. Pretty soon, all of a sudden, he hustles from fourth in line to first in line, bumps that first ram up, spins a half turn. I rearrange right there and come to full draw. Like, And right there, when he went from, say, 76 yards, which we're talking distance now where – it's crucial that I do know my yardage. And when he went from 76, say I would have dialed to that because he was just feeding there. He comes up quickly, gets that 68-yard mark, but then he takes two steps, turns, and half turns back. I get another range there. So now I've ranged, he moved, ranged, he moved again, ranged, and then came to full draw. If I would have had to have been dialing that whole time, I would say that's a, 
that's one scenario on a once in a lifetime ram that i love being able to pin gap and use what i've done my whole life there instead of not having to dick with that that slider site um if that makes some sense that was that's one scenario i can think of right off the top of my head where i pin gap and it worked out perfectly for me yeah and i i think that's what um when people are listening in or, or need to like assessing and, and stabilizers are the same way. Um, you know, as far as like Levi talking about shooting with a, a, a quiver on or, or whatever. Um, when, when people are figuring this out, there's very few scenarios where you're going to convince me a single pin is better. Um, cause there's movement no matter what you do, unless you just are inside of 30 yards. And then that makes total sense. Cause you can aim a little high or whatever with a single pin, having at least the the again three to five um you know pins to allow for less movement and you know i've had guys say why would i need seven pins i don't shoot past 50 i'm like well you you wouldn't need them why why are we having this conversation i don't i don't i I don't understand you know like but being able to if you can shoot really well out to a certain distance assess how many pins you need from that because there's going to be a time guaranteed you're going to bounce an animal out from 30 to 50 and having the yep. ability to range and, and, and skip the movement after that and just draw back and shoot is going to save you on the animal. You know, I run with some, some killers. Uh, I run with some dudes that none of, none of your listeners would know. There's no Instagram. There's no nothing. Just, I grew up with some dudes that I think that's what's made me a better bow hunter too. I mean, we are so goddamn competitive with each other. We push each other. Everything, everything's a competition between us. Whether it's, I mean, whether it was thought, you know, city league softball with the boys, or drinking beers. I mean, or chasing girls or anything. This group of guys I've grown up with, and we've all we've bow hunted together. I shouldn't say together, but we're all just our crew. There's five of us. There's one of us that uses a single pin slider, and he's super, super, super deadly. But he grew up using a five pin. And he knows his equipment. He would suggest to anybody not to use a single pin. I know he would. I know he would tell everybody to use a three to five pin. So he's just like you, Snyder. Like, we know we know that we can make it work, but I wouldn't feel comfortable at all using a single pin. There's, there's, I, had a, I literally had a guy call me last week and was asking me to try his son drew a good elk tag. He wanted to get a single pin. And right away I said, minimum three pin. This is why. Just because of what you said, you get caught drawn. They go from eight yards to twenty-two yards. I say they go from eight yards to thirty-five yards. And the thing is, is think about when you're sitting there on a calling scenario. You range like you know you. I, I do when if I'm calling something in, or even when I'm stalking on a mule deer, I'm pre-ranging. When I get to my spot, I'm pre-ranging the whole time. So that tree's thirty-six. That tree's twenty-two. That tree's forty-five. You know all those yardages. Well, if you got a single pin, I don't give a shit if you range that tree that's out there at 42. When that bull comes in, you have your pin set at 20. That bull comes in, blows back, and he goes back to 42 now, and your pin's set for 20. I don't know what your holdover is. How do you know the judge? You holding on top of his withers? Are you going to hold on the over six inches over his back? Like, I want to know that, okay, he ran back to my 42-yard tree. I'm at full, full draw. That amber pin's going to slide up. I'm going to put it right on 12 ring, and I'm going to pull through. So I think that's the scenario is we're always pre-ranging. I know you do. I know you go into these odd ad stocks and I'm, I guide a lot too. And when I'm stocking, I'm ranging the whole time on a mule deer stock before I get there. I'm looking if there's a draw that's across, you know, I, I'm, I'm going up to a rock. The rock's 45 yards away. That buck's below that rock. I'm ranging the tree to the right, the tree to the left. When I stop and go quiet, you're going so slow at this point that every step is meticulous. 
And so I'm pre-ranging. Okay, now my rock's 38 yards. That tree's 26. That tree's 57. That tree's 61. I take a couple more steps. I'm getting all of those yardages because if something happens and that mule deer happens to win me, hear me some, but he just does the big mule deer bounce, boom, 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 and stops. I've already ranged all those trees as I've been walking. I'm not just worried about that one rock. I'm looking across the draw, and all of a sudden, boom, boom, boom. I have my sight set at 25 or whatever. I don't know what guys do. Set at 25, and now he's bounced out to 61. You do not have time to reach down, twist that sight to 61, draw back, find him, and shoot. He's going to give you some seconds, but he's going to give you, when you hear that boom, 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 and that buck's bounding away, be at full draw. Be a full dry. He just went past my 44-yard bush. There's a 50-yard bush. He's, or 60-yard bush. He's not quite there. He's at 55. You're holding on him. You're holding on. The minute he stops, your 50 pins sitting right on top of his 10 ring, and you let it rip. That's another complete. I did that two years ago on the buck. I came tight to him on his bed. There was a two-point below me. I knew the wind was going to hit this two-point. I had already, it was a really, really tight pocket that I was in. I was like, I know this Miller one. If he jumps, he's going to go down three bounds across and he's not going to win me. So he's not going to know what's up. He's going to be looking at his little partner. He bounded down. Boom, boom, boom. I'd range the other side. There was a big rock. No shit. He stopped right at the rock that I'd range at 46 yards. And there was an arrow on, on his way on the way before he hadn't even got his head whipped around already. And I had that 40 pin sitting on top of his back, 50 at the bottom of his chest and let it, let it go. And that scenario happens a lot. It is. That's another thing I don't think you guys talk about is pre-ranging everything as you're walking into those shots. Like, don't just worry about that rock. Where's his escape route? What's he going to do? Is he going to blow all the way out? Like, I don't know. I don't know if that that helps a little bit, but that's, no, it, that's something that always is in my mind. It does. I mean, one thing that, that I wanted to cover when you're talking about pre-ranging, which sometimes it's a given to me and I need to mention it more. Everything Sam said, I need to say again. The other thing, too is your your pace count so to speak and this was hugely important with a stick bow but oh, with yeah. a compound yeah if, if i get in the red zone and the red zone could be 50 or the red zone could be 20 depending upon the terrain and so if i say i'm in the red zone like my like the terrain out here by my house or like alberta there is no trees right so you're in the red zone the moment you yep. are could potentially be in the vision of that deer meaning you know now generally a lot of times they may blow out um, if they see you, meaning they may not hang out and it's, but you don't want any more movement than you, you want the least amount of movement possible. So I range a deer at 46, but he's just over a rise like all deer do. And their bed just on the other side of, let's say a big, um, whatever the, the devil's lettuce, whatever the pokey cactus shit is or, or bear grass looking stuff. And he's just on a cut bank. So I, I know I'm going to be able to get a shot at that deer, but I got to creep 15 yards forward roughly. Once I range that deer, I'm counting my steps, doing a little bit of deductive reasoning. On a normal walk, my pace is a yard. So like, you know, when I'm walking back or walking in or whatever, I can figure out my pace is a yard. So when I'm creeping, my pace is about a half yard. So, all right, I ranged him. He's 47, 46 and a half, 45, 45 and a half as I'm creeping in. And it's not that difficult if you are, if you can keep your shit together. So when I've taken 10 steps, I've cut down five <laughs> yards. Um, you know what I mean? He's, he's 43. There is no movement at that point. I'm just killing him. Knowing when to do that, which you, uh, is all the time, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. You're 100% right. You asked me about scenarios. Um, I had a mountain buck that I killed really good deer. One of my, the best high country bucks I've ever killed. This was, he was bedded out on an open face at four o'clock in the afternoon. It was a crowd cover came in 
And for some reason, him and his partner had pulled out of this uh, timber slide. And they were, I can tell you, he was 78 yards from the edge of the timber. He was bedded right out in the open on an, on a bench, straight out, out of, out, uh, excuse me, 78 yards out on this bench. His ass was towards the timber. His head was facing away. And I got to the edge of the timber, Snyder, and it was one of those things where it was like, <laughs> you don't get the trophy not trying. And I freaking clicked on uh, my release, and I started walking at that buck. Now, he's looking away. Wind's probably coming uphill. I, I know it wasn't blowing at him. I couldn't tell you which direction it was going. It wasn't blowing at him. I got to the 78 yards, and just like you said, I started counting my paces. I'm walking right out in this, right to this deer in the wide-ass open public land mountain buck. And I'm walking right out to him, counting my steps, counting my steps, counting my steps. And I'm watching his behavior. First, I get probably, you know, five, eight steps out there. I'm probably 70. And I see his right ear kick back. He was sleeping. His right ear kicks back because he hears me. Then you can, when his ear kicks back, then exposes his eye. So he sees me out of his right eye. He's looking over his ass. But he's doing the, like, what is that? You know, is it danger? So then all of a sudden you see his head start to change. You see his posture changing. The whole time I'm counting my steps counting my steps, counting my steps. He starts to change in posture, starts to turn, and as soon as I see his ass start to rise up, I stop, come to full draw, settle right on his ass. He turns, quarter turn, turns a quarter turn. I put it right on the back of his ribs and sent it home, and it drove right through his shoulder on his offside, completely counting my steps. From, like, I would say 76 or 78 yards, I counted my steps all the way in, like, 63. I got 15 yards out into the wide ass open on a bench same level Sam on a really steep hill and killed that buck but all because I I counted my steps exactly like this and count those paces that's a huge huge thing that guys I don't I think they are so worried about that damn range finder that that'll get you a lot there's a lot of guys that don't kill shit because they're like ah oh, he's working I was trying to get a range and he caught me range or I was trying to put my range in that damn stupid pouch hang your range finder on your vinyl harness so you can just drop it, and it can just hang. It's not going to go anywhere. Don't try and stick it in your pocket. Don't try and stick it in your pouch. Don't try and do all that dumb shit. Just let it hang off your vinyl harness and get the full draw. Like, there's a lot of times there where that's going to get you busted. But, yeah, counting paces, I've definitely done that. Yeah, and, I, you know, with everything we're we're talking about, I would, I mean, I'd say take this as gospel for those listening in, for, for guys that, that message me or gals um, with becoming a more efficient uh, killer because all of these things we're talking about are going to happen. Garen, Garen fucking teed as sure as the sun will set tonight. You are going to go to grab your rangefinder. The deer will blow out in two seconds would have killed that deer. Meaning if you had two seconds back of you grabbing that rangefinder or the noise you make, like you're talking about the pouch or whatever, like I keep mine in a pouch, but I also have it on a dongle. So when I get closer, I can let it hang. You know, I don't leave it hanging around like a yep. dingle, dingle ball all the time. But what Sam's saying is correct. I keep it to where when it hangs, I don't have a lot of leeway on that. I can make it to my eye. And so when it's hanging, it's not swinging around everywhere, but I can, I can drop it. And the other thing too, range finding, once you've got a deer bedded, quit fucking ranging it. You only need to range it a couple times to confirm and then put that bitch down and get ready to shoot. Like I'll see guys and clients range the same deer 72 times. It's like, dude, every time you're ranging it, you're moving. Yeah. Like if, if it's still in its bed, nothing has changed. It's still there. So don't, don't move like movement. Like I don't care a whole lot about camo. You know, I'm not saying camo doesn't work, but I've killed a lot of shit in a sleeveless t-shirt. And 
if you've done your job, camo really doesn't matter. And I'm not saying on elk when they come in, but I mean, generally, you know, guys spend a ton of money on camo, then don't paint their face. Well, I, I don't identify Sam Davis from his elbow. It's his face is what I recognize him from. Animals are no different. And so, you know, when, when I'm talking about this, when you're creeping in on an animal and, you know, once it's bedded down or it's bedded and you're behind it and you're waiting for it to stand, don't, I mean, get your shit ready and get ready to shoot. And you said it a minute ago, I try not to ever see anything more than the top of its antlers if I'm going to wait for it to stand. Meaning if I got to creep forward to shoot it, that's totally different. But I'm looking for antlers. I, I don't want to see anything below uh, where it splits because then it can, I can, he can see me. And so if I'm waiting above it, those tips of those antlers tell me everything I need to know. They tell me which way it's facing, if it's facing away, cornering away, whatever. Then when they start to move, it's telling me it just heard me. It's telling me it's about to get up. It's telling me everything I need to know. I do not want to see its eyes because if I can see his eyes, he can certainly see mine. And those are things people really need to think about because once you've seen his eyes, more than most likely he's running away. Yeah, totally. Those are and those are key things, and that just goes right back to the beginning when you asked me what are the importance of everything. And I think animal behavior, that's it. <clears throat> that's it right there. And, uh, yeah, it's just the less movement, the better. Um, just have your have all your ducks in a row as you're going, and yet don't, don't sit there and range and range and range. Sometimes I've had to range more just because there's been, like, you got grass in front of them, and I've double-checked a bunch of that, but once it's done, once you know your range, just get set up for your shot. Look at your pins. Be like, all right, there's my, like for me, I'm like, as I'm standing there, I'm like, all right, I'm going to bury this 30 pin. Like that's what's going on. And I'm looking at my pants. I'm thinking about my shot process. I'm thinking about all that now as I'm waiting them out. Like there's a lot more to go after I got my range. Just be confident in your range and just get set up, get your feet positioned. However you're going to stand, like get all that stuff in order. If you've got that kind of time, that's what you need to be thinking about next is your shot process. Get all your shit together and get ready to shoot. You know the range. Now just do what you do. Yeah, for sure. And then you talked earlier, like Levi with the the the, the uh, quiver on the bow. And I don't know if, especially now since I've started shooting a quiverizer, uh, which I used to make fun of, but now I I don't think you could get that thing away from me. Back in the day, Chuck Adams and Randy Omer had this huge debate of Chuck Adams said he could shoot the difference at forty yards every arrow he unloaded out of his bow quiver. And so he shot a hip quiver, which I tried and it was a horrible idea for me. And then Randy Omer sh- showed that it wasn't true. Now, wind is t- different. You know what I mean? There's a lot of variables to this. And what, what I guess I am saying is I had two very, very lethal killers. One being Tony, uh, Treach or Treach. Um, I don't know. Do you know Tony? He's from Michigan, but he hunts out West a ton, kills giant animals. I don't know him personally. We've talked on, you know, we've messaged each other back and forth on uh, Instagram a little bit. So, no, I've never shook his hand. But, yeah, definitely we kept in touch a little bit over some hunting stuff. Yeah, and he's a, he's a good hunter. He's lethal. And then uh, my buddy Ryan Rotier, and I'm like, okay, I got to try this thing and at least give it, you know, because in, in, in unfairness or fairness, I hadn't really given it a fair shake. There is downsides to uh-huh. it, right? You got a giant quiver sticking off the front of your bow. Now, wind is not really one of them for me because – with a quiver on the side of the bow or in front, does it affect the bow a little bit more? A little bit, but I also gain accuracy when it's not windy. It's much more accurate than a bow, than a quiver on the side of the bow. Now, having said that, 
low crawling is one guys ask me and I'm like, well, actually what I do, um, you know, is the way I hand position. I cannot do what you do where I'm jamming my stabilizer on a, on a low crawl, right? I, I or not a low crawl a, on your knees. Yeah. Yeah. And, but yeah. you know, I don't really ever do that anyway, probably from carrying a weapon, um, low crawling so much in the military. I don't mind, um, the way that I do it. I actually put the quiver up on my, you know, shoulder. It's hard to explain, but anyway, I, I, it's a, it's a, it's a game of pluses and minuses. You're going to pay the tollman no matter what you do. So I may be more oh, yeah. accurate with equivalizer at certain distances, close and far, and I can reload faster, but there's certain times where you might beat me by 15 yards on a 20 minute knee walk or whatever you want to call it. Cause you can move a little faster maybe than I can put your stabilizer in the ground you got to weigh it out. Uh Like what's going to be most important now. This is where I really need people to think about this. If you're worried about, um, pulling an arrow out of a quiver, whether it be on the side of your bow or the front, and you're telling me that the, the bow changes its tune for every time you pull an arrow out. Okay. Well, if you're not (laughs) pulling your, your quiver off all the time, meaning, you know, Levi pulls his off sometimes or not or whatever. What's the difference? I mean, you just told me that you don't want to shoot equivalizer because you, um, you know, your arrow changes its tune as you empty the arrows, right, one at a time. But you sight it in with your quiver on and you take the whole quiver off. Well, fuck me, how much did that change, right? <laughs> or um, if you're on a full <laughs> quiver dump anyway accuracy's out the fucking window, right? If you've dumped your entire quiver at an animal and you're worried about dropping 470 grand, you know, things to think about, like I can't shoot the difference um, unloading the quivalizer or a quiver, meaning if I'm shooting 60 yards, I'm generally in a softball to a paper plate uh, with a hunting bow. I can't, I can't shoot. I'm not, I'm still hitting that thing. So Okay, and yep. I, everybody has their own system. I am not pulling the quiver off my fucking bow. No way, because there's generally, no in a way. season, a second arrow. Now, if Levi wants to do it, who am I to argue with Levi? I'm not telling people if they're confident what they have not to do it, but for people curious, you're not taking the quiver off my bow ever, ever. Especially, now, whitetail hunting is a little bit different, but I mean, obviously, western hunting. How many second arrows have you unleashed? If you look at all my kill photos over the years, I think it's always a joke between me and my buddy Zach. <laughs> Usually, uh, if I'm fling, if I'm shooting some, I'm flinging arrows at it. Uh, I don't know. Easily, easily, I would say eighty percent of the animals. I can't say 60, 65 to seven. Let's say seventy percent of the animals I've shot, I've got a second arrow or a third arrow in. Um, I can think about a bull elk that I hit three times before he got out to forty-eight. I shot him at nineteen straight on. I hit him again probably at thirty in the third arrow hit him right in the knuckle of the shoulder and cut his damn leg off. I got the, I packed the bone out to prove it, uh, at 46 yards. So I sling them. I sling arrows fast and effective. Actually that first one's off and I know that I've done something to hit that animal. I'm, I'm flinging arrows and I'm trying to put another <laughs> accurate arrow in him, whether it's in the ass, the gut, the shoulder, if I've hit him and I think he's lethally hit, I need to get another arrow in him. So yeah, I've, I've dumped, I've dumped quivers. But for if they're still within range, it's still breathing or moving. I mean, I've, I've sent five arrows at them. No questions asked. Yeah. And I mean, I, I get a kick out of this cause, uh, 
not a kid. Well, no, I mean, it's like people watching. I've, I've seen guys, especially guys I know with an empty quiver or two or three missing and guys giving them shit. And I'm like, you know what that tells me? That guy's a fucking gunslinger, probably shot some shit out of the back of a truck when he was a kid. He's smart. He's emptying the quiver until that thing stops. Uh, And I'm just joking about the shooting the shit out of the back of a truck, but meaning he has probably has some wisdom behind him because I have hit animals that, that um, I probably should have put a second arrow in. I ended up getting them, meaning I don't do that anymore. That quiver is getting unloaded until that animal stops, Uh, you know, meaning breathing like dead because hypothetically, let's say, I drop down, I hit a mule deer, and I catch a liver lung, but I'm not sure um, that I caught liver lung 100%. Liver lung's lethal. It's going to die. How long or when are you going to jump it? Is it going to run to private land if you're hunting by a ranch, or is it going to run to an area you can't get to or hard to find, or you're in triple canopy, freaking godforsaken rainforest of Oregon or Washington or B.C.? I don't want it to go as far. I want more blood on the ground. There's no negatives other than potentially wasting a little meat, there's but you're going to waste it all if you don't find it. So, I mean, I hit one at yeah. 40 and it runs to 90. It's getting shot again at 90. I guarantee. Like, and if yeah. you watch any of the videos of me, I if you, like I shot that goat in the cliff, watch how fast I reload. You want to talk about lightning fast speed, and that is something people never practice. Practice reloading and getting another well, arrow off. Well, look. Yeah, look at look at you want to go back and I hate to keep harping on these YouTube videos, but it's it's the propaganda, it's the stuff that's getting put out there right now. Look at these guys; they'll shoot an elk and they turn around and they want to look at the camera and give the big grin or flex the muscles. Like there's some times where like uh, I shot a mule deer for a video deal the, this last fall. I hammered that deer. I watched it break both shoulders and he bailed off out of sight, hundred plus yards you know, or out of sight, right? As I say, 80 yards, he went out of sight. He was gone and I wasn't going to go running up there because there was a whole herd of deer that I didn't want to blow running up to the edge to look. So I do shoot him. He runs off over the hill. I watched that arrow ferry all the way to the fletch through both shoulders. If he'd have stopped again, I would have sent another one his way, but he didn't. And I didn't want to spook the rest of the herd, creating more adrenaline to push him further. But you see these guys, they'll throw up their hands and it's like, where is the whole part of getting another arrow on your, like I'm, I let an arrow go. The next thing I do is get as fast as I can get another arrow on the string. And I'm looking, watching, watching. And most of the time I can, I can't say most of the time. I would say every single time I can un- I'm pull an arrow out of my quiver. I have it knocked on my string and I'm still watching the animal. Like I probably never took my eyes off my animal. That goes right back into practice, practice, practice. The more you shoot, the more everything just becomes muscle memory. And I mean, I already have an arrow clicked on a string i'm in my d loop i'm looking and i'm ready to rock again without even thinking about it. i think that's that's way way overlooked like you better be ready to rock as soon as that first arrow is launched you better be getting that second arrow on your string don't be thinking about anything else maybe grabbing your rangefinder because now maybe you might need a you know a 78 or just like you said 90 yard bomb and now you really need to take your time and breathe and get ready you hit something in the gut me and you both know you hit something in the gut and say he doesn't know you were there and it just goes plowing through his gut that animal might just do a slow walk. He just might get sick, hump up, even a liver shot, hump up, and he doesn't run. He's just walking away slowly. Now you have time. Don't let him see you. Get, get an arrow in your on your string now and get ranging. Get ranging. You might have a walking shot. They do that uncomfortable slow walk. They got a big hump in their back, and they're walking. Their liver shot. Now he's just walking. He's gaining a yard every step. So be thinking about that, but get another arrow in him and do it now. Yeah, and I kind of adding to that um, – when you watch guys do three gun competitions or tactical shooting, 
um, when you talk to an instructor, he's going to talk about keeping that weapon um, when you reload uh, at the target you were just shooting at, right? So when, you, when you're when re- reloading your mag, right, you don't want the gun pointing straight up. You, you know what I mean? You want it, you, you're reloading so your target yeah, acquisition yeah, totally. is fast. No one practiced that shit in archery. And it's funny because I, I hate to say it, but it, and I don't want to say I hate to say it. If you watched me practice when I'm getting serious, it would be a YouTube uh, extravaganza being funny because you'll see me creeping on a 3D target. I know it's gay, but I do it and I will reload as fast as I can <laughs> to get a second arrow in because one of the things people don't think about it, first time they do it, a lot of guys cut their string with their broadhead because they're shitting their pants. Shaking, right? Trying to reload fast. <laughs> and I've seen that a lot guiding. And, you know, the other thing too, when I, when I'm creeping over a, a, a hill and, and especially when I'm guiding and a guy hits it, I'll be like, all right, liver, liver. And I'm like, fucking reload, you know? And I get frustrated because it's a given to me. You reload. And yeah. later on, I generally yeah. apologize. I'm like, hey man, sorry, I was in heat of the moment, but uh, hey, you've got to work on reloading. Well, you said liver. I'm like, I did. Liver can make for a long day, right? Liver, liver doesn't always spe- real, real long day. Yeah, especially <laughs> so you know when you hit an animal, um, they all do different things depending upon where they where they get hit, and also what excitement level they were at uh, when you hit them, and then what they saw. So let's say hypothetically, a deer's by itself when you hit it in the liver, you're probably okay. Right, it's going to go a little bit, bed back down, or the stomach. It's going to go a bit, bed back yep. down, get up, get up, get down. It's with a group of animals, or it's in the rut. I hit an antelope, not so good. Um, the other bucks come kick the shit out of it, or their buddies are like, "Hey, what's wrong with Bill?" And they're trying to nudge Bill along. Or when they blow out, he's going to run the direction they did sometimes. And again, it's never you're never going to walk off the mountain and say, "Wow, I wish I wouldn't have reloaded that arrow." No, it said no man fucking ever yeah. always reload as fast as you can and practice that. Yeah, totally. I'm totally with you on that. I mean, like everything you said, think of all the scenarios of you ask me how many animals I put a second arrow in. It's, it's, it's crazy when I, when you really do think about it, how many times you do get that second opportunity because we're bow hunters. So element of surprise, obviously we snuck up on them. So a bunch of the times they don't even know you're there. And so you send that first arrow and they might not know anything. All of a sudden they just got hit and they're just, you know, they, they do go 40 yards and they're looking back over their shoulder to see what, what bit them or they do. The herd doesn't know you're there and you get a bull elk. I've hit a bull elk one time or I stuck a bull one time and then probably a couple, but one time in specifically I hit a bull 57 yards raking a bush. So he's raking a bush. His eyes are closed. His head's stuck in the bush. I hit him, hit him. A, he was kind of quartering too slightly. And I stuck through that scapula, and I don't know. I quartered him. I don't know where I hit him. I'm guessing I single lung livered him, caught the single, you know, onside lung, and then punched out that liver on the backside. But he, his cows were at 85 yards, and he just ran up to them, and they were just grazing, so they were a sense of safety. He stopped right in the middle of them. I regrouped 90 yards. I sent another arrow and hammered him right through the ribs on that one, and he was dead within 150 yards. So it's all about you're going to eat like there's all different scenarios like just like you said uh where they're not spooked or they catch up to that herd if you as soon as you use that element of surprise to get in there they might not spook and run because they don't know what bit them and they're looking around for what danger did just get at them so you are going to get that second shot so very important to get an arrow on your string after you've let one go 
Yeah, the other thing while we're talking, and I don't want to keep you too, too long, but um, I've done some videos on the different, um, you know, shot angles and, you know, and I, I kind of explained it. It's like talking to your kid about premar premarital sex. You know, you're, you're not telling them to do it, but you certainly want them to know what's going yeah. on if they decide to. So I, I wasn't yep. telling people to take yep. these different shots, but just what they would hit and what would happen. Um, go into some different scenarios uh, from your experience of like, whether it be a stomach hit, a liver hit, you know, one lung, um, and, and, and what your suggestion would be for people listening in. And then I'll kind of chime in here and there. And, and I mean, go through the full gambit from a one lung hit, what happens to an animal if you hit one lung to, uh, you know, the stomach all the way to the, you know, the intestines. All right, so like I would say, let's look like uh, scenario wise. When I've seen, I've seen like a like a one lung hit. Um, I'm trying to think. I hit a bull elk quite a few years ago, and I don't know exactly. It's one of those things where it was it was just a, a solid quarter and away shot, not bad. Single lung hit. He uh, he took off like a bat out of hell. Usually, in my experience, um, you double lung them. You hit them up there in that front end, that lung, that pump house region, heart, obviously they're going to, the wheels are going to turn on. Like usually they are, you know, when you've hit them, they usually kick out with their hind end. It's your perfect scenario. They kick out with their hind end. That arrows either went all the way through them or buried up in those lungs and you'll see them take off running. Well, this bull, I hit him and I, I don't know if I caught hard ribs going in. I didn't catch the scapula. He took off, but not real hard. And he got in the timber and it was getting dark. So I backed out next morning. I come back 12 hours later and we start blood trailing and I thought I'd hit him. I mean, I would say I thought I hit him like a, a hard, like a perfect tendering, um, dead bull. Just, it got dark on me. So we pulled out, we come back the next morning. I got a wicked blood trail. So this is a scenario where he ran to his cows and, uh, he ran to his cows and he got in the trees and they were calm. So we backed out the next morning we slide in and, uh, I'm blood trailing good blood. And, uh, I get good blood and I'm working my way through the timber. Good blood, good blood. And no shit. Snyder, I look up from me and that bull is standing up broadside looking at me at about 10 yards. So long story short, sent another arrow into him, sent another arrow into him and hammered and hammered him. Get up there. And that's what I'd done. Single lunged him. And he lived, I would say it was 12 hours later and we got up right at daylight and we were, I mean, we were horse camping. We were in there quite a ways and had another mile down the Canyon to go and, it was 12 hours, 13 hours later, and he was still standing. So there's a single lung hit. He acted uh, like it hurt, like an ouch. But once he got in that comfortability, comfort of his cows, he slowed her back down, and then he worked in the timber with them. Liver shots. Liver shots are the ones that I think can fool guys because that liver runs right tight on the back side of that diaphragm. Sorry, spray plane going over. Anybody hears that? Um, there's a, That liver runs right on the back side of that diaphragm. I'm not trying to explain the anatomy to everybody. It's but the liver is more available on the left-hand side than it is on the right-hand side, the way the body lays and the body cavity of an animal. And a liver shot, sometimes a guy will think you smoke them. Sometimes just the way that they're, either their lungs are deflated or inflated. I think when, a, when an animal's lungs are deflated, he's on an out-breath. His liver is further up, uh, closer to his shoulder, not at his shoulder. I'm just saying closer to the front end. So say you hit five inches to eight inches behind that shoulder, all of a sudden you shoot one and he takes off and you got, some dark red blood but you don't have a lot of uh then all of a sudden the blood trail kind of starts petering out but you're looking back at your video or you're, you're replaying your shot with your buddy and you're going man i hit him right behind the shoulder he looked like he was perfectly broadside um and you can't figure it out 
those animals, a liver shot, if you can get eyes on them, like Snyder said earlier, they'll, I've seen them where they just, they might just hump up and just kind of, a liver shot, usually they like to run a little bit more because I think it hurts a little more and they think it's just nature. It knows that it's kind of in a pump house. It's an organ that's going to kill them and it's going to kill them pretty fast. But they'll, they'll pull off and they're going to go bed down, head up, bedded down, very aware. They're not like they're uh, not hitting the lungs where they're, they're just trying to breathe and survive. You hit them in the liver and you don't catch that artery in the liver. If you just hit a, a, a fin of the liver, they're going to be sick. And that's where I'm going to, if I can't get a second row in them, I'm just going to watch them. You're talking six hours. I mean, I don't know where you're at. I'm, I like, uh, I'm a five hour, six hour guy on a liver shot. Get them, get them really good and sick before you go in there. And unless you just know you can make a move and just crush them, I'm going to give them six hours and let them sit and, you might have to put another arrow in them. Even after a six-hour mark, I've seen an arrow on a big bull elk. Um, you need another arrow in them. I guess, is that is that kind of going there? And then you want to go over a stomach shot also? Yeah, let's talk about that just a little bit more like on the the one lung deal. My, my experience, unless you hit something else, animals will live forever on one lung generally. Now, yeah, if you... Yeah, now, they can. They can live... I mean, I would just expect that. It's It's not always, but just... Just plan on it. Um, now, and when I say that, you put a two and a half inch or a giant Grim Reaper, a two inch sever through one lung. And, you know, I'm not, I will run those motherfuckers down and say, though they're so weak that I can get another shot. And when I say that, <laughs> meaning if I'm with you, right, you and I, and I see you hit one lung on an elk and we watch it, you're going to have initially a really good blood trail and then you're going to have a bed and you're going to have coagulated blood, and then you're going to have a real fucking unhappy, unlucky day because you may not find it. Yep. So it's an assessing the situation to where I literally, if I'm with you, I'm like, we're running this thing down. And I've had guys like, what? And I'm like, you hit one lung, dude. We're not going to find it. And when I say we're not going to find it, we're probably not going to find it. I've seen bulls breeding a week later after they've been hit with one lung. Like, I, yep. humans live on one I've lung. I've seen a white-tailed buck. Yeah. I hit I had a white tail buck probably eight years ago that I single lunged him. I forgot about that one. Now you say that I single lunged him and I blood trailed him next morning. It got dark. And the next morning I got there, he's, he's bedded down with a doe out in the middle of a meadow. He's got her off all on his own. He's breathing the hell out of her. And he was single lunged. I had about six inches of penetration on a, it was a wild shot. And yes, I've had, I've absolutely had that happen. And so when you're in an area that you can make tracks and you can keep decent eyes on and, and, uh, you know, push it. Cause what it boils down to is the more blood they lose, the weaker they get, right. They get, they get dizzy, they get confused. So, you know, you're not going to quote unquote run an elk down, but you may run it into a better situation. And I am not telling everyone to do this if you're not physically capable, but, uh, you and I are hunting in a, in a unit that I'm familiar with and you hit one lung, I'm going to quickly regroup. I'm going to give it a minute, right? Cause the animal is going to be super alert at first, we're going to creep in slow yep. to see if we can get a second shot because the blood trail is good and he's going to bed down and you, I mean, creep. I do not want that, but that, that animal to coagulate. I don't want him to plug that hole up cause I need the blood to keep running him down. If it's a really good blood trail, I'm literally, I mean, we're fast tracking. We're running at times. I'm going to run that thing till it's weak enough that we can get another arrow into it. And, and as I say that I've done it. And when I say run them till they're weak, yeah, I have literally run them to where they 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 have no blood and and they need that right in their system and it's like a drunk human. 
They can't walk straight. Yep. They're laying, they're standing, they're laying. And if you're fit enough, I highly suggest giving that a whirl or I don't think you'll find the animal. So it sounds like you're in, in, in agreement with that to, to a certain degree. Cause you know, if you hit it with a small little fixed blade, it may be a little bit harder to run it down. You hit it with a big mechanical, you can run a blood trail. Um, or I've been able to, you're, you're, go ahead. Oh, I did. I did it. Um, you saw, I, I didn't even guess I'm bad at thinking back to scenarios until you're better at bringing this stuff up. Uh, mule deer. I hit a mule deer high shoulder shot on a mule deer caught one lung. You know, exactly. Everybody says the dead spot. I hit high on a mule deer in New Mexico. And, uh, I was in that sand hills country and I did, I had a wicked track and I had a spotter that was miles away. My buddy, Zach, he was probably two miles away on a sand dune watching and he, we didn't get to see the buck the whole time. And I hit, I shot him Snyder. I probably gave him 15 minutes, not, it was more regrouping, kind of re going through the shot. What I'd done, got my shit together. I ended up killing that deer probably 11. I don't know how much daylight we had that day, say 10, eight, 10 hours later. And I, I dogged that buck until I got him. He had finally went. So it was, it wasn't, I'd put, I'd put a shot on it. It was hurting him. So it was my job to track him down. I had created it and it wasn't the perfect shot. So I needed to finish the job. That's why I tracked him down. And 100%, did I run that deer down? Damn right I did. Um, that's where being in shape is huge. I don't know how many miles I put on. I don't have my Onyx. I didn't have a Garmin watch at those days. It was just hunting. And like 10 hours later, I got a 35-yard shot on that buck. And he was panting, um, mouth open. Still had the arrow sticking in him high in his shoulder. And yeah, this isn't, that it happened. It's bow hunting. And I didn't put the perfect shot on him. And I tracked him in that sand. I had very little blood because you know what uh, a, a drop of blood looks like in sand. It's a beady. And uh, 10 hours later, I had that buck dead with a 35-yard shot because he had completely quit. He had given up and had turned, and he was broadside, mouth open, nose on the ground, so tired because I dogged him for 10 hours straight and killed him. It's definitely, definitely doable. We, are, as humans, are built to track stuff down like that. That's, we, have, we have the lung capacity. We have the endurance. That's one thing about a four-legged critter. They can't go that long because they will overheat. Yes, a bull elk will go, you know, seven, eight miles, but they will overheat and they need to stop and bed down. When if you, um, you have a hole in one of those. I mean, I think you no, totally. I totally agree with you. I've done it. I said, no, hell no, I totally agree with you because I've done it. That's just, I've said this to guys in hunting forums and you look, I'm talking like the fucking moon's made out of cheese. I'm like, no, I'm, you can run them down. Like when I say that, I'm not like last of the Mohicans running beside them, flinging arrows, like. I am tracking them and running them down, keeping pushing them to tire them out and get more and more blood pumping out of the body. Those are the key things. You want them to overheat yep. and you want yep. them to run out of blood. And that's a one lung hit. Now, you're not going to, you do that with a stomach hit, you're going to have a real long day and an unhappy ending. But the stomach hit, they're not, yeah. that takes a long time for septic shock to kick in. And that's why I wanted to bring this up to you. There's different scenarios. So, the, the one lung deal, I think, you know, we, 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 we discussed that. So like liver, um, the, the one thing about a liver shot that I have found is they generally don't go that far when you hit it real good to their first bed. Yep. You're in agreement on that one. Yeah. You get, yeah, yeah, yeah. you get a liver shot and that's where you, that's where I'm really big on the time thing because most of the time, yeah, maybe not a bull elk and thick timber, but you get an elk, you hit anything in that liver, there's a good chance you're going to have eyes on it. Like he might hustle off, but he's, then they're going to slow down to a walk. Cause they're like, God damn, I am sick. 
and they might bed down in a weird spot even they might not look for like a bed they might just bed down right where they're at and just be there for, they might get up spin 180 degrees move five yards do it again do it again do do it again that's another thing too is your, if you are blood training a liver shot you'll see how the bed is laid out you'll see where your blood is at and then you'll see where they got up changed they bed it again and they'll just be blood spot after blood spot after blood spot and it only might be in a 40 yard 30 yard but they'll bed down 10 different times and then finally the buck will be laying their dead but they do they get sick fast and they just want to lay up. It's just like when you got a bad stomach ache and you got to take a shit and you can't, and your stomach's just bulging on you. You don't feel like running a marathon. Like you're wanting to just lay down and curl up in a little ball because your, your guts hurt. And I, I would say that's the equivalency there. Just, and time is your friend there. Cause it, they're still pretty alert. They're going to maybe bed down to where the wind is in their favor. So now you got to regroup what you do go in there to make that second shot, but you don't really, I don't want to blow them out. If I know it's a, if it's a solid liver hit and I can see it's mid body, I got that dark blood. I don't really want to go blow them out. I will sit there and try to keep eyes on them. If I know I got a 90% chance of getting in there and killing them, I'll go in there and kill them. But most of the time I'm going to set up, try to be with a you know, sub 150 yards and keep eyes on them and, and watch them and give it time. And and this is why I wanted to talk about this. Cause you, you, you know, when you're, when you're, what I've found 99% of the time guys that have killed a, a lot of stuff and been on a lot of animals, you know, guiding agree. And I agree a hundred percent. Um, I, I always will err personally to the side of, of launching another arrow. If it's clear at a farther distance, um, at a liver shot animal, if the situation is very conducive to that arrow being a good arrow, meaning if it's thick brush, I might hit a limb, Yep, I'm not taking the shot. That animal's going to die, and I'm risking losing it by taking the shot. And But if I can keep the yep. animal from suffering and put another good animal or arrow in it, I'm going to. The The bottom line is, and, yep. and you brought up like you got to take a shit. I have a, If you ever pissed out a kidney stone or had gallbladder issues, you'll get up and move around the house. You'll, you know, you'll be on your knees hunched over. You might be laying on your back, on your side. But you're not like, oh, I think I'll go to the grocery store. You're not going far. They're getting up in hopes to get more comfortable or a different position because they're in pain. And and yep. I, I, I hate, to, you know, this is, I did a podcast with Chris Rowe talking about this where I'd like to be able to discuss this stuff without getting blasted. And, and I think I'm going to start and I'll get you on there a separate, uh, a, a, a platform or a page to talk about this stuff without being, dealing with chuckleheads because this stuff happens. But you lose the general um, where the direction you want this to go, which is learning when you bring this up to the public, get shot to shit because you have all these chuckleheads chiming in like they've never made a mistake. And then you lose the teaching portion of this or the learning portion. And having you on here is good because you have the same, you're finding the same things I have like with the liver shot and guys are like, well, why would you want the animal to suffer? I don't want the animal to suffer, but I don't yeah. want to lose it either and have yeah. it eaten by coyotes. So it's an assessment. It's an assessment. A stomach hit is the same thing, you know, like with the liver. I've never seen an animal on a liver hit go farther than 250 yards, even being pushed once um, ever. Yep. Like, But I have had one. Well, shit, South Bowl last year was a liver hit and they had a hell of a time finding it in deadfall. If you don't push it the first time, guaranteed, 50 to 100 yards, they're bedded up. Guaranteed. Uh, and when I say guaranteed, yep. I yep. would I would bet my truck and that 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 lit my small penis truck is a lot of money. Guaranteed. Most of the time when I fit one in the <laughs> liver, 
50 yards, I can shoot, I'll shoot them again when they're walking to bed. They do not like getting hit in the liver. And again, if you push them, don't yeah. push them again because guaranteed they're going to go probably another hundred and, and bed down. But um, depending upon where you're at, that can be a rough 150 yards in deadfall timber feels like a mile, right? It's, it's, it's not like oh, yeah. out in the prairie. Yeah. So, um, all right. So moving back, piercing like the, um, uh, you know, the, let's say just say the the stomach going from the stomach to the intestines. I have seen great differences. I'm curious your opinion on that and what the animal does considering just punching the, the grass bag or hitting uh, all those intestines. Have you seen a difference with what the animal does? I would say an intestinal shot. I hit my bear this year. He, he, I don't know what happened. Uh, that's another thing too. Everybody thinks when they replay the shot, they think they got a, a good broadside shot. But a lot of the times if that animal, you're in front of it, it's quartering to you. It's always, it's in a walking motion coming to you, whether you're ambushing them or you're calling them in. There's a lot of times where it's a lot more quartering to you than you originally thought. This year on my bear, he was actually quartering away. I hit him and I was further back than I thought, you know, middle, middle on a bear. And, uh, I was still a little bit further back and it, it, it got the front of his ham on his right side and came out about his last rib or right there on his left side. And, uh, that intestinal shot was so devastating on that bear. I'm not proud of it. I wish I'd have been further forward. Um, but an intestinal shot I think is, freaking deadly i don't know what it's doing back there if you're closer to those hams so you're you're cutting the flanks so you're also not only are you sticking it through the intestines but now you've cut some big muscles going through there so you're inhibiting their 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 way of travel i think an intestinal shot you get further back like that it's it's sick it's it's, it makes them very septic i think fast because it's there's a lot of blood pumping to those intestines there's a lot of moving thing and you're filling their cavity just full of shit and I, i don't think that's a that's a very good one. You shoot a big expandable through there, you're probably going to have intestines hanging out of the hole. You'll know an intestinal shot because they aren't going to go far, and they're going to have a bulge hanging out of that hole, and it might be impacting your blood trail, but you're not going to need much of a blood trail because they're probably pretty damn sick if you rip their intestines. A stomach punch, a straight stomach shot right through the grass house, man, those are tough. They might act sick, kind of like the liver shot. They might act um, just do that hump up and walk away slow. But if it's a punch shot, you're not going to have a lot of blood. You're going to have some blood at first. Everything has blood at first because you cut the skin, like cutting your finger. You're going to bleed like a bitch a little bit, and then it'll, it'll close up fast. I would say stomach hits are probably the hardest. Both require time. Stomach shot, it's going to require a bunch of time. That's where, goddamn, you hope you can see them because you're not going to have much blood. You need time on your side. You aren't going to, yeah, the blood trail, you're going to be dry tracking. And if you're in downfall, like you were just saying, don't push them. But I don't like to push a gut shot. If anything, I'm moving to try and see them. I'm trying to get advantage, trying to see where they're going, what they're doing. Last spot, I last tree I saw them walk by, the last piece of grass I saw them, you know, park where they went, where they went from the meadow into the timber. I'm really, that's what I'm keying in on that stomach shot. But an intestinal shot, man, they're, they're about as lethal as a liver shot, if not more. They get sick fast. Now, you, you ever hit something and it's got, it's, <laughs> If you're walking on your intestines, you're in a bad way fast. 100% everything that Sam says I agree with. Um, whatever, I always just say there's more gray matter, more toxicity. You know, I'm just making shit up. I don't know what it is. But uh, intestines, when somebody <laughs> when, when somebody says, you know, calls me, hey, uh, I hit one, it's a little far back. The first thing I'm thinking is I hope it's a lot far back. 
Because if it's a little far back yep. in, in their mind, they're trying to make a bad situation sound better than it is. Because, you know, I don't know how many guys, a little far back, we find it. I'm like, a little far back? The fuck is your definition of a little far back? That's a lot far back, you know? Like, just tell me that we're screwed is what you could have told me. <laughs> but when, you, when you're when you in that, that, that intestine area, they generally, what I've seen, bet up like a liver shot. 50 yards, maybe 100, they're betting up. And they won't move more than 40 yards um, from that location. And, I mean, I've watched it to where we're assessing to get in another shot. And 100% what Sam said, back out and circle and try to find, get eyes on the animal. Because that's the best thing if you know where they're at. And when I say that, like, I don't mean just throw your binos up for a minute. Break it down and tear that up because it might see a tine, an ear, you know what I mean? Like you, you may be picking out yeah. a very small yeah. a hoof, a leg to find them because once you find them, that animal's it's that you've got it. You you've got it. It's I mean the only thing that'll kill you is if coyotes start pushing it. So that, coyotes, yep. Yeah, coyotes, coyotes are the come devil. In, start yipping and start biting at his ass. Yep. Yeah. Well, you, you actually you were I think um, uh, Lampers and Gritty were at that that that. Uh, Whatever the hell that thing was, you were just at um, uh, Gritty hit one in um, uh, Alberta. Man, we came back the next day, and that was a straight up, you know, twenty inches of intestines hanging out type of a thing. Uh, you know, windy and the animal spun. Um, we, we, you know, we we let that thing bed down. We ha- we had to leave it because it was getting close to property. We didn't have permission on, and we made we made an assessment yep. call to come out. That deer was gone the next day, and when I say gone, they ate it the whole thing. Like there was nothing left and that's another kind of an assessment that you have to take. I only bring that up because I made that mistake on an antelope. Um, and you have to really take a good look at, okay, what time was it when you hit it? How much time of day do you have left? And is it worth pushing it if it's a high population of coyotes? Cause I guarantee there's nothing left in the morning anyway, is it worth it to push yep. in on that animal? And when I say push in, I'm talking launching bombs at 120 to get another arrow into it if you have to, because guaranteed there's nothing going to be left the next day. With an intestine hit, you're going to be able, they're going into the spirit world earlier than a stomach hit. A stomach hit, I've seen animals <laughs> yeah. walk half a mile straight with a stomach hit, stopping with their hunch back hunched up. If they're into the spirit world quicker and you shoot it at one, my suggestion would be if you can't make a, an approach, give it two to three hours. It's going to be in la la land. And what wasn't an approach earlier that day, maybe an approach you can make later because they're in the spirit world where with a stomach hit, you can wait six hours and that thing's still pretty fucking alert. Um, with the straight up grass back from oh, what, yeah. I, what I've seen. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this, all of yeah, these things happen. Go ahead. Say that again. Say, oh, I was gonna say a stomach hit's probably of all the things that, where you can hit them. A stomach's probably the the least. The, obviously, you don't want to gut shoot anything, but of all the spots you go, oh shit about it. If you see that arrow go clean through the paunch, I mean, it just pump pump goes right through them. It's not hanging up in them. You're gonna know your arrow's just green, stinks like shit. That's that's a that's an oops. That's the hardest recovery of any of the shots we've talked about. The stomach paunch shot with no liver, no intestines. You're in for a hell of a day, and you might have some disappointment at the end of that one. That's the toughest one to come back from. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Um, I think that um, you know, as w- you know, we're discussing these things. Um, 
you know, the, the key is obviously is for people listening in to grab some info from this to know, you know, what to do. And so, you know, when, when you, when you hit an animal, the things that I'm looking at is the time I hit it, right? That's important. How much daylight do I have left? You know, where I hit it just as important or more important, um, or potentially hit it, the terrain I'm in and what's around me, meaning is it wide open? Is it, you know, heavily timbered coyotes, how much coyotes, you know, um, you know, is is it going to get eaten overnight? Basically all of those things, when yep. Sam said, take that 15 minutes, weather, weather, weather yeah, rain, rain, God, weather. don't rain. Is the rain, rain coming in? Yep. And, and when, when you do that, that 15 to 20 minutes after you take the shot, get your shit together, calm down if you're nervous, whatever, and start making a game plan. And that game plan may be sitting on your ass and throwing a dip in and taking a, eating a snack or something. That game plan may be, well, lace them up, boys, because we're about to do some work put it together and make an actual plan assessing what happened, not wandering around fucking aimlessly looking for blood, get a plan together off the info you have. Yes. That's key. All of that. And, and get it, get, get your shit together now. Like, yeah, it's not, you're, you're totally right. Like, and don't be walking around hooting and hollering, spinning circles. Like look at where you're standing. You're in the timber. Look at where that animal, that last tree, that is very, very, very important. Because you get so many guys that hit the car crash. Boom, you let the arrow rip. You don't even really remember where you hit them. You're wanting to run back to your buddy that's been calling for you. Now you've left the scene. You're trying to replay it all in your head. And you're walking back. Like, I think I was standing by this jack pine. I think I was shooting under that deadfall. I think, I think I take a picture. Most of the time I'm solo hunting. I'd say, you know, 75, 80% of the time, 90% of the time, I'm solo hunting. I'll pull out my iPhone. I will literally take a picture right where I'm standing and then I will mark it on um, Snapchat is what I use. And I use Snapchat cause I can put a red mark right with it, right with the deer elk, whatever was standing. And that's what I know where I'm looking at. I mark on on X right where I was standing. And then I go into my process of what do I need to do next? But the first thing I usually do is take a picture right after I shoot, take a picture and be like, all right, let's this, I got to get my shit together and figure out, you know, the next, the next plan of attack. Yep. A hundred percent. And, uh, you know, mark something on a GPS, um, you know, whether on X GPS, whatever, right. Get, get all the info you need. And then yeah. the other thing too, while we're talking about all of this is also the, you know, you and I are at a position, we can choose a broadhead for pretty much every animal within reason, like deer, elk, sheep, goat, whatever. The only thing, even moose, uh, bison's a little bit different, but honestly I've, I've shot, well, I've shot a bunch of tame bison. Um, and even still, they're not that hard to poke a hole through is choose the broadhead that's applicable, not only to your setup, but what, you know, what you're hunting and where you're hunting. Meaning I hunt black bear. I want, they are not overly hard to put a hole through right there. I mean, skin one, it's probably going to uh-huh. be holy. Uh-huh. So guys are like, yep. Hey, I'm going to hunt black bear. Should I shoot a fixed blade? And I, and I want them to learn. And I'm like, well, how come? Well, with all that hair or whatever. And it's like, yeah. There's not that much fucking hair on them, man. They are easy to put a hole through. If you're in like the wilds of British Columbia or Western, uh, like like North Idaho, whatever, I want blood on the ground. I want big holes. And I would much rather have one giant yep. hole than, than two little ones. And I know some people would argue that. Um, and that's fine. You know, every, each their own. It is the, the hair sucks up the blood. And when that happens, your your blood trail is smaller, obviously. And so I want the biggest hole I possibly can get with a black bear personally. And even pushing, 
you know, when you get into the lower poundage or let's say a guy's like, man, I, I'm shooting 60 pounds with a 450 grain arrow. I'm still saying shoot the, whether you shoot a fixed blade or mechanical, shoot the widest cutting diameter uh, broadhead you can. Would you agree with mm-hmm. that on like a goat or a black bear? Or are you more of, um, you know, the, the methodology of worrying about getting through that, that hair? Like I said, uh, since 09, I shot a Grim Reaper mechanical inch and three eighths cut. Um, that's it's what I want. I like a three blade. I'm not a big four blade fan because it does take a lot of kinetic energy out of it when those you know those cam over broadheads do open. So I'm very aware of that. Um, with my setup, just like you said, know your setup and know the game you're hunting. With my setup, I know that I can punch an inch and three eighths broadhead, and I have clean pass through. I don't know. I've killed quite a few bull elk a lot, and uh, with that broadhead. And I've cleaned past through a ton of them. Mule deer, blown through a ton of them. If I shoulder, shoulder, if I rib, shoulder, it's usually sticking out the other side. Um, that moose I shot a couple of years ago, I hit a rib going in, caught his backside scapula at 30-some yards, and I did hang up on the fletch. If you watch the video as the bull is running away, it is hanging up by the fletch, you know. So, yeah, I didn't punch all the way through, but I'm 100% with you on a goat, on a bear, on a whitetail, on an antelope. Um, I'm those lower poundage guys shoot something that makes a hole and that you're accurate with the, like right back to our accuracy. If you're more accurate with that friggin' sever broadhead, Grim Reaper broadhead, like use it. If you can use it and you're effective with it, that's what I want to see. That's what I would like stress a ton. You start getting those heavier animals, you get a bull elk, you get a moose, something like that. And you're shooting that lower poundage. Now you need to be thinking about maybe a cut on contact, three blade, two blade, good fixed blade that you can tune and it's it's laying the hammer down but yeah just know the know the game i always joke me and my buddies are always like ah rage 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 everybody was when i was so big when rage just came out they're like the gut shit gut shooting kings well in all joking aside with a rage two and a half inch rage i've never used one but if they hit something in the liver or they hit something in the gut like that's uh that's pretty effective if you take a two and a half inch dagger and rip it through something's gut that's a very effective way of killing something. No, it's not where you were aiming. And no, it might not do that good on a shoulder blade, but you're not aiming at the shoulder blade. The shoulder blade's probably one-fifth of the size of the rest of the body or one, you know, one-third of the size of the other 60% of the oops that you could make. If you don't hit your spot, you've got 60% of the gut, you have a better op- opportunity of hitting. So that's where those bigger cut-on-contact, uh, heads are going to be the difference, especially in a lower poundage when you kind of do have to pick selectively what you're using. Yeah. Yep. hundred percent. I, um, I think that, um, uh, again, assessing like, you know, where you're going, whatever, but it, I mean, as I say that if you're shooting a 28, 29 plus inch draw and 450 to whatever, 500 plus grain arrows, uh, you really don't have to worry about anything we're talking about. You can pretty much shoot whatever you want, um, within reason for anything yeah. in North America. So, um, yeah, well, man, I had you on here for an hour and 45 minutes. We can probably talk another two, but I don't want to keep you busy all morning. Um, <laughs> are you, do you still have, um, you running that animal down where you're like seven or 11 miles or whatever it was. I, I maybe I got that. You got to make old fart hats of the predators never quit. Cause I, I just can't do the trucker hat thing. I, I got too fat of a head, but, uh, where can they, where can everybody find you on social media? And then, uh, do you still, do you still have those for sale, the hats and everything? Yeah, I do. Um, so on social on Instagram, I, it's uh, S Davis twenty five six. 
uh, S. Davis 2506. I know it's a rifle caliber. When I was a kid, my dad was always like, just get a number that you use when you use on all your, your stuff. And so it's, that's how I came up with that. It's before anybody asked. That's why it's that. Um, and then Predators Never Quit. That's uh, my YouTube channel. And I do sell some hats on PredatorsNeverQuit.com. It's kind of a knucklehead idea, just like you, man. Um, we were doing dumb shit. And I was on a ridge, and I'd already killed a ball. I was running camera for my buddy. So it was easy for me to say, well, we saw some elk that were completely the opposite direction after we were already a long ways in. And we were day hunting. Yeah, you know how it is. Now we're not going to stay the night in there. Let's just hit this spot. Well, we ended up staying a couple nights longer without any food or without camp, just some uh, puffies and toughing it out, chasing elk. And I came up with the thing. I was like, predators never quit, guys. Like, let's go get after them. And that's something that stuck with me. So that's something I've said for a lot of years. Predators never quit, whether it's in in bow hunting or just life and just work hard work hard and you'll reap the rewards just don't be a bitch and so yeah i sell some hats and some t-shirts and that's, that's what it is i need to get you a hat made i know i know yeah yeah you got to get the like the uh the legacy old fart hat is what i call them uh <laughs> just the way my head's built snyder, like, i'll get the snyder the snyder special your your wife wears them she looks good in them you just you don't like repping it i guess i'll get you a snyder special yeah, I was gonna say, look at her head compared to mine. I'm dude, I'm like a half a percent away from full Neanderthal. Like my 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 eyeball is extremely close to my jaw. So um anyway, man, I, I appreciate you, you know, hopping on here. I've I've wanted to get on get you on here for a while and I finally you know, whatever, had some time and obviously now we're up in Wyoming, so we'll have to hang out more. But yeah, go follow Sam, wealth of knowledge, uh, straight up killer. I mean, a uh, ton, ton of good info and a ton of animals on the ground and you always got something going on. So definitely a fun page to, to keep track of. So I, I appreciate you coming on, man. Well, Hey, thanks a lot, Snyder. Like I said, I look up to you just, I've listened to your podcast for years and I think it's just neat. Cause every time you mention something like today was good to bullshit with you because we, we see the same, I mean, from sites to uh, the way we look at hunting guiding it's it's been pretty cool to to fall along and just be like you know you never know how to um i shouldn't say measure yourself but i don't i'm not, I'm not i'm trying to compare myself to you but you always wonder like if your tactics if there's a better way to do it so to hear some guy that you look up to you've done it a lot you've done a lot of stuff and so to see that you have very similar ideas and tactics it's kind of neat just to, to throw your game out there and see where you stand or or just compare ideas. So yeah, likewise, man. Thanks a lot for having me on. Yeah, we can sure got to get together and do something. Yeah, no, that sounds good, man. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll stay in touch and link up soon, man. But thanks again. All right, man. Talk to you later. Yeah.